0: Very excited about today's guest on this episode of Miami Miked Up. As we have Mike Golick Jr., the host of the Gojo podcast for DraftKings, alongside his pal Brandon Newman, also a college football analyst for Learfield. Uh, Mike Golick Jr., thank you so much for joining me today on Miami Miked Up. Appreciate you having me, man. Very excited. Of course. Uh, well, before we get into a little bit about your career, a little bit of football, um, I got to ask you first, what is something recently outside of work, outside of football that has brought you some joy?
1: Um, I mean, listen, I know we're going to get to it at some point, but the fact that we've got a new Taylor Swift album on the way in October, it's, yes. it, it's, it is it is <laughs> in such a busy season as we're all getting started, getting back. and. You know i get to travel for games now calling them on radio for learfield and getting to do the stuff with the podcast i'm living in a new city somehow taylor swift finding a way to bring <laughs> us all back to what's important in life really kind of jolts you back into reality
0: yeah absolutely it's funny uh looking at at this upcoming october you have a, a taylor swift album and then you have also i believe the 1975 and arctic monkey Arctic Monkeys, rather. And so it's just Tumblr from 2012. Just like a 10-year anniversary of what Tumblr used to look like, coming back into all of our lives. So I'm excited about it. It should be funny. Yeah, we'll get into that Taylor Swift album in a bit. But before we do, I figured getting into a little bit about your podcast and that decision you made here to make that jump into a daily podcast and the grind that comes with that would be a good place to start. So new city, new sor- sort of uh, workload here. How has that jump? How has that adjustment been? And what was it that that made you decide, yes, a daily podcast is something I'd like to do?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I- I- especially for me, my start working in this industry in general was, in audio, so obviously right. that was home. I had gotten fortunate to then get to be a part of, you know, I started doing weekend radio when I first got to ESPN and, and then got to be a part of a number of different daily shows. And so daily audio had always just been kind of what I had known, and yeah. it's a great connective point to, one, just have the ability to talk about stuff that's interesting to you, and I've always been fortunate Especially at being on the national level where you kind of do get to pick and choose. Hey, these are the stories regardless of sport or region that you can kind of focus in on when there's something that strikes you. And I, so I think that was a part of it, knowing it was going to be a, a you know 60- to 90-minute podcast as opposed to four hours a day in the afternoon is certainly... Uh, you know, I, I loved... Live Sports Talk Radio is such a unique animal, and there is something so fun and endearing, especially... You know, I was doing afternoons at the time I left ESPN, so you get a lot of breaking news from 3 right. to 7 p.m. Eastern, and there is a weird, unique rush to that that maybe you don't get in podcasting, but it was also a thing that I hadn't really done yet. You know, I, I had gotten a chance and I was fortunate while I was at ESPN. I got to do studio TV. I got to do radio. I got to call games. I got to work on ESPN Digital. I got to work on the Snapchat Sports Center shows. Like, I got to try on a lot of different hats there. And podcasting, at least consistently, had never been one of them. And so when DraftKings came along, one, I had seen, you know, the work that they were doing in partnership with, with the Lebitard show and the guys over at Meadowlark Media now – And saw how serious they were taking this. Um, For me, it was an opportunity to be a little less... I mean, decentralized is probably the not, not the right word, but when you've got to do everything in headquarters in Bristol, I'd grown yeah. up there my whole life. I had been in Connecticut because of dad for the better part of 25 years. And the opportunity to potentially be able to do this a little bit more remote, to go and have the chance to live somewhere new the way that I am now, go on and try a new challenge and try and see if I can continue to... Challenge myself creatively in the way that this space can certainly offer you, and then to do it with a good partner in DraftKings who's given me a lot of creative freedom and a lot of, you know, say in how we get to do things. I think all of that just kind of made it the right opportunity and it was one of those moments where I I hope or no ill will I love my time at ESPN and that's a place that, that has done so much for me and it wasn't really about you know they weren't offering me x or y it was just hey I have I have the opportunity right now to try something different to try something new and if I don't take that opportunity now who knows if it ever comes around again who knows if I have the chance to do this in the way that's offered right now and so it was hard to turn that down and so far it's been a lot of fun trying to go out there and see what
0: I can do within that. It sounds like a really fun mix between having a bit of the thrill of, hey, this is something new. This is something a little bit different, but also the comfort of, audio is my space. I'm used to the sort of daily grind of, of what that might take. And so finding that balance had to be, you know, like you said, th- this specific opportunity coming up when it did seems to be that perfect fit for you. But one of the other things that you're doing is calling games as well for Learfield. And this past weekend, you happened to be around a, a pretty great one uh, in the Utah University of Florida game. Obviously, you know, we are Miami mic'd up, but all the Florida schools are pretty well represented here in South Florida with alumni bases and, and fans of all these different teams so i heard you on your own podcast say some pretty incredible things about anthony richardson um he is special it makes you wonder what the heck dan mullen was thinking or what anthony richardson could have been doing in practice last year that made him not the starting quarterback but my first question for you is just how good is anthony richardson and what does that do to uf's expectations this season
1: yeah, and I think relative to the last staff, I heard Richard Johnson talk about this. He's a proud Fro- Florida alum, does a great job you know, on Split Zone Duo, which is an awesome college football yeah, he's podcast. Great. And he said that with Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen's an incredible offensive architect. He's a guy that can scheme and design plays as well as anybody. And with Anthony Richardson, part of the charm and part of the great that we saw this weekend is improv. So mm. styles kind of make fights type thing. So yeah. maybe you can see how that didn't necessarily – work in the ways that would have been appealing then. And it's why I think the marriage works so well with what Billy Apier does and what they want to do on offense. Have this be a ground attack that was over 50% run heavy when he was at Louisiana and makes use of the quarterback's gifts in the run game. And then all of that, like we see in really a lot of the dominant schemes in the NFL right now in the Shanahan-McVay tree is a lot of the same stuff offensively that people want to run And what it then affords you is better play-action windows down the field, better opportunities to take advantage in those moments, and Mm -hmm. using the gifts of the quarterback to scare the hell out of you and even trim some of the fat off the rush. And so all of that combined with Florida's offensive line, I think, being a little further along than I expected, even knowing they had good veteran pieces come back. Osiris Torrance, who was a transfer from Louisiana, as a preseason second-team All-American. They had good bodies, but... Anthony Richardson still had to go out there and do it. And whether it was on the ground, whether it was some of the very timely strikes on third down that we saw from him, you saw the beginnings of it. And the difference to me in the game purely came down to, while Anthony Richardson is still going to be growing into the quarterback he's ultimately going to become, what was apparent was one side had a very good college quarterback. Cam Rising for Utah is a very good college quarterback. On a very mature team who still got a lot of what they wanted offensively, managed to have a really good game, but ran into a team that is certainly uber talented. You go through the Florida roster, and even if players have underperformed, five-star is attached to their name, number one at exposition. position. Yeah, and it's out Florida
0: of at the beginning of September as well, you know, playing right. in the swamp.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was rainy. It was muggy there. Yep. It was all of the usual Florida elements thrown into this. But with that side, ultimately you had a quarterback in Cam Rising, very good, versus a quarterback on the other side who's a legitimate game changer. Oh yeah. And when you've got one of those, especially in college football, it's not like Sunday stuff where those guys are at every position for the most part, and even Anthony Richardson, talent-wise, might be a step above that. You just saw the difference that makes once Billy and Apier had been able to come in and start to iron out some of the inconsistency that had plagued Florida in those other spots with penalties and those things that undermine your performance
0: as a team Uh, to see him come out and play so well right off the bat it does certainly change uh perspective on on what this season already can be under billy napier and 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 what they can get going at uf and and what's fun about that is you had a pretty good weekend if you're looking at the florida's big four by the way that's how i refer to it i'm a ucf alum it's the big four in the state of Florida, but between UCF winning their opening night game and in, in blowout fashion, Miami taking care of business in the same way, FSU taking down LSU in what was kind of a crazy back and forth game. And then obviously Florida over Utah, it looks like Florida football in a general sense in college football is headed in the right direction. So what is your view sort of, 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 of where this state stands? You know, I, I could ask you to pick who you think is the best team in the state if you'd like to, but also just sort of is this this a trend that you expect? Like, do you expect all of these schools to sort of be headed in a positive direction now at this point?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think especially, you know, Miami was heading in a positive direction last year, even at the finish under Manny Diaz, and what Tyler Van Dyke had started to become for that team. I didn't get a chance to watch their first game this week. I think they played Bethune-Cookman, so I wasn't going to learn much based off that anyway. Um, Personnel-wise, what they're bringing back, I mean, the D-line room could be one of the most, you know, uh, improved units in the country. Akeem Mesidor, who came over from West Virginia, I got to see plenty last year, and the the things that that coaching staff raved about that player should be very exciting for a miami team that took a step back in that room last year you had lost so much first round draft capital in the seasons prior and so yeah i think they're they're all working in the right direction we know gus and ucf it's always going to be some wild stuff down there it's i think a perfect marriage of coach and a university that invented space so Mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah
0: Uh, you got people literally right now by the way as we speak there are people arguing about who invented Space because Rice just released Space Uniform. So you got yeah! all the UCF, uh UCF people caping for the fact that they you know invented space but yes continuing yes gus and gus and ucf is a very good marriage space wars in college football god we the best the weirdest <laughs> war, but no i i think they are moving
1: in the right direction um i'll i'll hold off another week because i think it's a contest really between miami and florida right now <clears throat> as far as what that might look like you know for florida state it was certainly a big opening win and Right now where there is a program, you need any of those kernels that you can hold on to because that team's done a phenomenal job. I did their game against Louisville last year where I think that was where they went 0-4 for like the first time since the 70s, Florida State did. And it was as miserable a time in Tallahassee for that fan base as you can remember in a while, and the team didn't quit. Like, I went to practice on Friday, and the energy was still there. You saw in that game they were down, and And as someone who's been a part of bad teams and knows what it looks like when that here-we-go-again switch kind of flips, I was amazed at what they put on display, and so that was you know, what is it? It's Faith is believing in something that you can't see. That was kind of faith last year for them is, hey, we're going to trust in Mike Norvell and what he's talked to us about on a daily basis. And now it's about finding examples where the actions match the words. And you can turn on the tape in a meeting the next week and say, hey, listen, we weren't perfect in that game. There's plenty of calls that I'm sure we want back. But Jordan Travis able to make a bunch of plays, that defensive line being as disruptive as it was and completely tilting that game. For Florida State and to do it when the eyes of the whole country are on you as a standalone all of that are things that Mike Norvell can now sell a locker room that does have a ton of talent that still needs to put it together on offense and they're you know dealing with a different coordinator and Eric Atkins since Kenny Dillingham is now in Oregon but I think overall what a positive step for that program it's just when I look at The way the easiest way to claw back in and get into these spots is to do it up front right now. That's the advantage Florida has is I really think they might have a unit up front that is much better than I gave it credit for and Kentucky will kind of be a good uh, teller of that tale this week when they get them.
0: A lot of really fun barometers throughout the season for all of these different teams. There's there's in their schedules, when you look at it, a bunch of really good sort of benchmark games. Um and even, you know, unfortunately, I think for for UCF, their out-of-conference schedule looks weak now that Louisville uh doesn't seem to be any good after getting romped by Syracuse. But, you know, when you when you start looking across the state and you see all of these athletes that are now just All four schools are getting to keep a lot more of those in-state kids than they used to, and hopefully NIL becomes a part of that 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 allows that to stay the same way. Um, Of the other games from this past weekend, I got three that come to mind for me. We can do a quick comment on any of them. Obviously, there's ohio state and notre dame uh you know you being the notre dame guy any sort of uh uh you know maybe moral victories that could be there albeit i I don't think that exists much at at, with notre dame football uh app state and unc which was just one complete end of the spectrum and then uh iowa and south dakota state which is the other end of the spectrum so of of those three games which one you want to kind of uh add something to here um, well, I'd say two of them
1: exist together, and one of them is obviously <laughs> the most associated with me, right? Like sure. The Notre Dame one, uh, I know people love to do the Notre Dame big game thing. All I'll say is usually the big game thing is at the end of the season. Yeah. And it's a lot more justified when you're a fully formed team that loses the last game of the year. 100% agreed. First game of the season, you've got the ability to correct in a team that's really going to go as far as its young quarterback takes it. And with that guy having, that is the first stanza, really good Ohio State defense. Now, getting a whole year to develop, I feel pretty good about what they had the opportunity to do.
0: The irony with that is, I think there's probably more people across the country who so thought that Notre Dame was going to get crushed by Ohio State that will look back at that singular game almost as if it was a victory. When we get enough distance from it and they go, man, I just remember them compete. That was a real close game. So the fact that it's a winner or loss when you're looking at college football playoff down the line. It's one of the most inconsequential big game Notre Dame losses that can exist when you look at at the grand scheme of it.
1: Yeah, I I think that's that's absolutely right in a lot of ways, and it was their ability to go out and execute a specific game plan. Ohio State's also going to get a lot better. Their offense yeah. looked off. Jackson Smith and Jigba was banged up, and and you know tried to make it work, and and wasn't what they wanted him to be in that opening game. So that's all going to get better and correct itself real quick. And that'll be a markedly better team because the defense is fixed. Jim Knowles went and did that thing. Those dudes were playing <laughs> like they're here. It's, it's amazing. We talked about coaches coming in and being able to get an identity to buy in quick. Right. Overnight. Linebacker, linebackers looked fast. Defensive line was penetrating and getting upfield and causing problems. So that's that's a lot of the high stuff there. The, the Iowa touchdown. <laughs>
0: The Iowa touchdown as a phrase now has to be just solidified forever now.
1: I think Jason Kirk lays Uh claim to that one, but it's just trying to explain college football to someone is always a fascinating exercise. And if you could show them from the same weekend, Here's a team over here in App State that scored 40 points in a quarter to finish this game in a flurry and loses because a guy was so wide open on a two-point conversion that everyone involved just couldn't believe it versus this team in Iowa that had as many punts as first downs, I believe, in their first half. Incredible. Their punter on the game had like something like six or seven punts downed inside the 20 and they managed to make seven like a blackjack dealer. It was <laughs> incredible. We have, I thought we hit peak Iowa at some point last year. This game is it. When you look in the program's history book, this will be peak Kirk Ferentz Iowa.
0: Well, well. speaking of, of Jason Kirk, I, I believe on Shutdown Fullcast, he said that he looked back at, I believe there were 60 games in college football in the last like 40 years or so where a team has scored seven points and won the game. And this is the only situation he could find where that team scored seven points, not via the touchdown, via two safeties and a field goal. So really incredible stuff by Iowa. And it it is incredibly on brand for everything that they do. Um, Looking forward, I really want to talk more about your own career. And I want to talk about, you know, where you're headed with this podcast and everything else there. But it starts sort of, back before your career began? Because obviously your dad, who you mentioned, uh, being Mike Golick, being on ESPN, had a ton of success. How important for you, when you first decided to get into this business, was it to, to, to establish what was unique about yourself? Because you're someone who seems so willing to dive into a number of different topics and really put yourself out there as who you are sort of as the human being. So how important was that to you right from the jump when you were getting into this business?
1: I mean, I think right from the jump, I was just trying to figure out how to do everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You know, like it it took me a while to kind of figure out how to be whatever being myself was on air for a long time. And Mm. I had the good fortune of watching Dad do it. You know, the, the 20 year span that he had at the top of, you know, digital audio or top of audio in general and the top of ESPN audio like it was just watching him be exactly who I saw at home every day it was him and Mike Greenberg both being very candid and open about their family lives and making that a part of the show and so I just kind of grew up in the fishbowl with all of that being normal like I joked it was normal for me to turn on the TV at college and see my dad when I was not you know when I was no longer at home seeing him and those are decidedly abnormal things so (laughs) it's just one of those you kind of grow up around that and so you get used to All right, this is one way you can do content there are plenty of people that do it the other way where they keep church and state separate and different things can work for different people but I think in long form audio especially you're spending so much time in people's ears that at some point there's got to be a bunch of you in there or else what's going to bring them to you versus anyone else you can get information everywhere now. We got got phones and Google and all the stuff that make it really easy to go and find the news and notes, and so it's just about who do people want to spend time with when they're making decisions about this, and really the only way to differentiate is just to go and put as much of yourself in it as possible, and so just sheer volume of reps is kind of how that all came to be it's just enough trial and error of where can i inject that while still making sure i do whatever job i'm asked to do on whatever platform it is because you know it changes from whatever platform you're on studio games podcast radio whatever it is they all ask and demand different things and so it was just kind of learning through the course of that because at the end of the day i knew i was going to come in with the nepotism tag that was that was earned sure. that was something that i had to deal with and so i had to basically say, all right, make sure you're here because you actually want to do this. You're not you know, taking an opportunity away from somebody just because this is an easy thing or you think this is an easy thing. Make sure this is the thing that you want to do and that you're willing to go out there and honor the opportunity with the work that you put into that. And part of that is doing it in the way that is most organic and normal to me because at some point, if someone's going to fire me, I'd much rather get fired for doing things my way than trying to be and doing an imitation of somebody
0: else. A thousand percent. You know, You mentioned specifically that when you started, it was just about getting the reps. It was just about making sure you wanted to do it. So when did you have the realization not only that you wanted to do this, but that you were good at it? Right. Because there yeah. does come a point where that switch flips from, OK, I'm here and I'm, I'm just treading water. And OK, now I'm in sort of command of what it is that I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to do this. That was just more of like a no uh, retort. And I, I, I had known that for a long time. I, I always tell people I knew my dad more as a broadcaster than a football player. Of like right, I, course, I, I was just—I was a little baby. I was, you know, yeah. two and three years old when he was finishing up his playing career. So wow. I got to see all that, and I just knew, you know, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to do the things that made him and my mom the people they were, and football and this job ended up being those things, and it kind of naturally aligned. Like I was a chatty chubby kid so football and doing this <laughs> and sports radio were perfect kind of mar- kind of married well together but I-, I always I think had more of a natural propensity for this than I even did football I was never mm. the most physically gifted f- football player the most skilled it was a lot of effort and a lot of you know trying to just max out what physical ability you had but with this I, I definitely knew walking in I had at least more of a natural talent for doing this than I think I did for football so I knew I wanted to do it. I had done this at Notre Dame. I was a you know, their version of a communications major there. I had done behind the scenes content for the football program, but as far as actually being comfortable, I mean yeah. like 2019 2020 like it was it took a long time for me to actually have the game slow down kind of moment where not only did I feel comfortable with how I was approaching things on air and that I'd gotten enough reps to kind of feel comfortable doing that but just even in the building you know coming in dad was one of the biggest figures in that building and he was someone who I always you know obviously had a lot of respect and had been such a part of the lives of so many people there that I always felt like I existed relative to him for a while. And I was super proud of that. But as far as then getting the chance to forge enough relationships in the building to where I just became, you know, while someone who will always be connected to my dad and loved that and getting to do the show with him, but got to that point where I was, all right, I was actually an individual and there were enough different things here to where that could go out and do that. So yeah, it, it, it took a while to finally, I think hit that point where, I walked into a show and I was like, "All right, here's what I know I can contribute to this show." Whereas mm. before it was just, "Hey, I'm saying yes to every opportunity. I'm gonna go in here and I'm gonna try and give them everything. I'm gonna take every note and watch everything and just shoot it at them and feed it to them through a fire hose." And then at, you know, at that point, at some point, and I think it was you know, as I started doing more live games, obviously getting to be around the morning show and on the morning show with Dad and Trey helped a ton on that, but. At some point there, it was, all right, I had kind of started, had gotten enough reps to know these are the things I'm really passionate about. These are the ways that I see certain issues. And so when I come to a platform, it's not just me following someone else's lead. There were times where I could finally start to walk in and say, hey, this is what I'm hot on, or this is what I think I can contribute and was competent enough to actually
0: offer that up. Yeah, that's the that's the switch that needs to sort of flip, right, to be able to take, Not to say, like, take your game from one level to the next because that's so sports cliche, but to realistically be able to do that, it does take that level of confidence and walking in and knowing how you can contribute. And obviously, like you mentioned, your path has been somewhat different because you did have your dad. You got to learn that way. You also played college sports. And so you got to come in with that experience as well that could color your, your analysis and your ability to create content. But I also know that that you're someone who's just capable of making content. And for other young people who are just now getting into this business, is there any sort of advice I guess that you would you would give to a college age person now who is thinking, Hey, I want to follow Mike Goldick Jr.'s path within content creation? And God, content content creation is just such a blanket term that I hate using, but it's the one we have to use. I know, there's a lot
1: of words around this, like talent, <laughs> that word that gets thrown around. There's a lot of nasty I stuff hate that gets thrown around in all this, so yeah. I, the first off would be an admittance that my path is gonna be a bit abnormal as far as how I got to where I did. Like I said, my dad being in that building got me into a place in a different way than anyone else is going to be able to do by and large. But as far as the rest of it, it, it really, like, it's, it's so cliche, but it, it's now as a young person if you are in college, you have so many more opportunities to get in front of and start to do whatever it is you want to do. And I would just say, do all of it. Like if you think, you know, the one thing you want to do, do two or three other things that are around that, that are kind of interesting to you. Like yeah. I always, I always tell people too, if you have the chance to do radio, do radio, it'll make you so much better at everything else. Mm-hmm. Just having to think about it and having to be a part of something that's long form, that's live, that lives and breathes. Cause With this now, podcasting is so different, you can get done, and if you didn't like something, you can recut it. You can go ahead and and try and work it to your liking, but having to respond to things in real time, to have to kind of think on your feet, to still have a plan, and then be able to deviate from that plan, and to be able to do it, in theory, with a teammate over now, if you do solo radio, you are truly ready and can unlock. (laughs) Your your third eye becomes open, and the whole world is going to feel easier after that but I I think it's I think it's such a great foundation for anything else that goes on here I I haven't personally been someone who's been a writer but I've heard that from a lot of people who are writers just in the way that you think about approaching all these things but yeah I, I would say do that and then just try and use that to figure out you know who being you on air is and what the things you're naturally interested are and try and lead in with that because I just know as a listener. I have things that I certainly will tune into a show for. Right. But at the same time, if I just tune in and I hear someone who is super passionate about something and super insightful about something, even if it's not what I came there for, I'm usually pretty willing to stick around and listen if you're selling me with how much you care about this thing. And so... I, I think in general, we spend so much time as an industry trying to figure out you know, what audiences are listening to, and we've got all these ways to measure and try and figure these things out metric-wise, and that is worthwhile. We're trying to serve the greatest amount of people and do all that stuff, but at some point, they're also, as you get going in it, and you get that sense of, all right, I kind of know what people are interested in, and I kind of know what people are interested in hearing from me about. Lean into those things and try and make them work
0: for you as best you can, I guess. I think, no, I think that's great advice because it it is going back to the thing you said before of being at ESPN and knowing, okay, here's now the thing that I know I can bring to the table, right? Like knowing that you could enter a conversation and say, here's the things I'm hot on. Here's the things I want to talk about. Here's the things I know I can provide to a show by doing, you know, college radio or whatever that might be. You are putting yourself in a position to to start to understand yourself more and know what you're good speaking about and what you're not.
1: And I would also say, and this is another one that just falls in like the base camp hunt feedback relentlessly, find people oh, yeah. whose ears and eyes you trust. And it's hard at first because everyone's got a job. Everyone's got their own stuff. So you're asking people, you know, some places will have people whose job it is to coach up people that are on air or review performance and stuff like that. But If that's not the case, finding someone who is someone you listen to and enjoy hearing from. Someone who is a producer or a programming coordinator at your studio and getting them to listen to stuff and give you feedback and then listening to that. And you're not going to agree with every bit of it, but when it comes to hey, this is how you structure things. This is how you go about building the bones of whatever platform you're on. And in some cases, how you present information. you got to be willing to take in a lot of that feedback and then go out there and try it out even when it's not comfortable. So uh, that was the biggest thing that I think being a a former athlete helped out with is – I always told my bosses, "You're never going to legally be allowed to say anything to me as bad as my offensive line coaches. Do. <laughs> like HR will stop you well before that." So I promise, right. I can take whatever you want to throw at me as far as criticism or constructive feedback on this, and we're gonna be
0: good. I guess that's why so many uh, former athletes are able to survive the uh, the 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 criticism that can come with being the quote unquote talent on air uh, within this business because thick skin is necessitated through, uh, especially in college athletics. But I I do wonder, we've mentioned all the different hats that you wear. And I I think now I know the answer uh, potentially, but do you have a favorite role that you get to play within this industry? Because you've played so many of them, right? Whether it's color commentary, podcaster, radio host, studio television. Is there a you know, and I know it's, it's, I don't want to put you in a spot. You're currently doing the podcast thing every day, but is there a role that sort of stands out as when this is at its best, it's my favorite thing to do.
1: Um, at its best calling games is the coolest thing to do. Mm. It it just, like, and I, I love the reason I love getting to do the podcast every day is because it's a relationship thing. After you do this for a long enough time, you really get to spend time with people. And that was why the morning show was so cool. People woke up, and put us on and sat with us in their kitchen or while they were working out or while they were getting ready and that's an honor to to it's awesome get to spend that kind of time with people in those intimate moments and i value those relationships so much but as far as the rush mm calling games is the only thing that gets you close to, and I always tell this to guys that are former players that are just getting in on this, it's the closest preparation-wise you'll have to going out and getting ready to play a game. I get to watch tape all week. You get get to talk to coaches sometimes. You get to really dive in and become an expert on two teams for a week or as close as you can get to that because for the rest of this, I'm a generalist. I get to know a little bit about a lot of things and try and use my background to have an opinion about them where I think I can lend, lend a couple of words. For this, it's a sport that I got to play at a high level and know pretty well. And it's getting a chance to get to know those teams really well. And then you get to go out and you get to be part of not only a live event, all the cool stuff that was cool about radio applies there. Right. But you've got the crowd there. You've got this living, breathing thing in the middle of it that you can walk in with a plan. I mean, college football is the thing and football in general, calling live sports in general, where you prepare the most to use the least amount of what you've actually prepared. Cause ultimately they're going to decide we're just here to, (laughs) you know, put some clever things around the, action in the field that's ultimately going to decide whether this game broadcast is good or not but when that's good and this last weekend was one of those examples with Utah and Florida when that's good it's as good as it gets because it's exciting you get to think critically about what you would do in these situations situations you've been for before that are a part of that are similar to that that you can take people in on like that's the simplest way my dad ever explained the job to me was your job is to take people where they couldn't go So Mm. if people could never make it into a D1 locker room or down onto a field for that, or in Dad's case, nine years in an NFL career, you got to take them inside those moments where it's appropriate. And so much of sports commentary has evolved to a really good place where now we lend more credence to all the data that we have. We are creating smarter football analysis and fans as we go along here, and that's true for a lot of sports. But there's also always, I think, going to be room for the storytelling where it's appropriate, especially in a sport that's as violent and chaotic as football, that has so many of these strange moments that are unique to this sport. And so to get and kind of relive those as I go through, and there's some games where I'll remember stuff that happened in a game that I played in in college that I hadn't thought about in years because it was so specific to this situation. And so when you get those little moments and that little rush, and you can find a way to make it relevant to the broadcast in a way that hopefully helps whoever's listening understand the situation a little bit more or enjoy it or they walk out with something that they can tell someone else that's that's the coolest part about that and that's why i think it's just hard to top a live event like that
0: it's cool because the motivating i don't know whether it's the pathos or the ethos because i'm not smart enough to understand it but the (laughs) motivating element there the ethics behind it for you seems to be that no matter what it is that you're doing, it's all about human connection, right? Whether it's the podcast and wanting to connect with an audience that now you have on a daily basis, or it's, hey, I'm going to humanize this moment in this football game with my own personal experience with it. And getting to do that in that way, in a live environment, based off of a play that just happened on a field, it's got to be incredibly thrilling. So for you then, as the generalist, where again, wearing a bunch of different hats, do you have a favorite league or sport specifically to cover outside of football? The one that doesn't come naturally is it the NBA, MLB? Like, is there something that sticks out for you um, that's your favorite there?
1: College lacrosse. That was college that was lacrosse. Always, that was always my thing at ESPN. So I grew yeah, up, I, I was a really bad fourth grade baseball player, and
0: so lacrosse it is.
1: Yeah, I went on the all star the all star circuit um, <laughs> and had a zero batting average for that. And so when they told me about this sport called the cross where I could carry a 6-foot long <laughs> stick and hit kids with it in the football offseason I was like gang we're we're done And so I played lacrosse through, you know, my sophomore year of high school, and then I got to Notre Dame, and the lacrosse program there is one of the best in the country. Mm -hmm. Notre Dame randomly pairs you with a roommate when you get on campus. You're not in athlete dorms. You're not separate from the student population. And my roommate just happened to be one of the guys. His name's Sean Rogers, and he was an attackman on the lacrosse team. And so I spent a ton of time with those guys. It was a sport that I loved and there was some crossover John Vasallo at ESPN who was one of the coordinating producers for football was the head coordinating producer for College the Cross and between him my friend Heatherly Claggett who's a producer over there I bothered them long enough and they went to bat for me enough to get me on some lacrosse games. So I got to be the third guy in a booth and call some college lacrosse games. The little kid in me, I'd grown up. I was a Northeast kid. So I grew up getting to go to Final Four weekend at M&T Bank in Baltimore at the Lincoln Philadelphia. And so spin that forward last year before I left ESPN, I got to be a part of the halftime coverage at the Final Four when it came to Rentschler in Hartford where I was living at the time. And so little moments like that in a sport where I'm by no means an expert, I don't have playing experience, but... I love it. I'm a huge fan of it. it. it's one of my favorite parts of every spring is getting to live and die with Notre Dame Lacrosse mm. and let that team influence my mood in a way that's uh, you know, not healthy. <laughs> that's right, of course. But uh, but no, that one was that one was always the most fun. And it was one of those where How cool. it wasn't, you know, one of those things where you looked at it and said this is motivated by career advancement or anything else. It's just hey, I have the opportunity to do a cool thing with a sport I've liked for a long time and it was a ton of fun.
0: And you get to whether you're the expert or not, you get get to be the expert amongst the rest of the generalists because you cared about lacrosse and that that i'm sure was uh was unique to have in your back pocket um well speaking of these leagues and then we'll wrap up with taylor swift right after this i promise i do need some nfl takes from you here um whether it's giving you the opportunity to sort of workshop any opinions you want before you you trickle them out onto the, the the big airwaves or to just talk about Tuanon and all of the love that exists down here for Tuatagavaloa for all sorts of strange reasons. I'm sure you got to love Mike McDaniel and how offensive line play is like the key to his entire offense, right?
1: Well, I also appreciated that Teron Armstead in his press conference this week, when asked about Tuanon, said that he didn't know anything about Tuanan. Yeah, because okay. as Tuanon will tell you, the first rule of Tuanon <laughs> is don't say anything about Tuanon. So that's of just course. a heads-up play of by course, a veteran player weird. in this league who yeah. understands it the way Toronto just don't acknowledge did. it. No, nope. you just can't acknowledge it. And I am someone who had my run-ins with Miami Dolphins O-line fanatic Twitter.
0: Oh, jeez. Part of me, I didn't know that existed. Oh,
1: it, it, it's one of those things. It shouldn't. It, it's, it's, and you know what? I, I, I love the guys on the Miami offensive line. Like. Mm. You know, I, I, there were a lot of those guys that I watched and really liked in college and still think they could be something good. Right. And I got to talk to Teron Armstead on the podcast, and he said he believes that he can be part of, you know, helping get that group to where it is. You have one really solid veteran guy that not only is a great player at left tackle, but also a great influence on a room. The way Teron studies and approaches the game is fantastic for a young player to be around. The first thing right. I got told when I went to training camp in Pittsburgh as a rookie was grab a vet. Find a vet, Mm. figure out their process, and follow that and try and mirror that as best you can. So you've got that in the room, but it was just at the time that Miami Dolphins' offensive line was not good. And so many people were talking about Tua as the subject, and that offensive line was not performing up to the standard. And when we pointed that out, myself and others... (laughs) Everybody lost their minds. Everyone lost their minds. And part of me, again, was super excited that people cared enough about offensive line play (laughs) to go and wage this very bizarre internet war. But at the same time being gaslit about a position that again, there's a lot of smart football fans out there in the public. There are a lot of people who pay way closer attention to the Miami Dolphins on a day-to-day basis than me. But offensive Offensive lines, one of those (laughs) spots where I'm like, guys, I I, I promise you, I'm pretty sure I I know this one. (laughs) I, I can do this and so yeah. over a couple of years you know it it, it kind of got borne out and I don't take any joy in that because I want to see those players do well I want to see every offensive lineman do well because it's a hard at times thankless position but um yeah no that was a weird introduction so all of a sudden when two and popped up I was like yeah this makes perfect <laughs> sense given the fans. Right.
0: right yeah it's it's uh it's a it's a weird place to be a, a football fan down here uh for so many reasons right you got Miami Hurricanes fans as well and that overlap is Large, but not—it's it, not—it's not one circle. There's people who exist on the outskirts of both of those fan bases that just make each of them even stranger. Uh, but all right, it's time for us to talk about the thing that I really brought you onto this podcast for, and we'll wrap up here. It's Taylor Swift time. Uh, I listened to your pod with Nora after the announcement of Midnight's. Um, I could ask you a hundred different things about Taylor Swift uh, and how wonderful she is, but I guess. I don't want to start with your favorite album because that's too basic of a place to go. But when did you when did you first get into Taylor Swift's music? Like what album did sort of send you into this sphere of, OK, I love Taylor Swift. And were you such an open Taylor Swift fan from day one? So
1: I I mean, I had always been aware of Taylor Swift and I just kind of consumed it like a general public. But the the album that sticks out and it's ironic because it was the recent re-release was Red because I was finishing up college. So I remember 22 okay. came out, and okay. I was stomping around to that bars in South Bend. It's a great party track. Of course, they were going to play that all over co- uh, college campuses. But then I went, and so that was my last fall, was 2012 on Notre Dame's campus. And then I went to start training for my pro day out in Scottsdale. The uh, It was Exos, it was like one of the big box facilities that gets uh-huh. guys ready for the combine. And so I was staying in an apartment out there and I would drive over to where the facility was every day in the morning and we would do an early morning session and after we'd be there all day. And so when I would drive over there in the morning, this was I was renting like a you know I was renting an old pickup truck that didn't have like the aux cord thing and didn't have it didn't have anything so I would just take my phone and I would put on every morning I would put it in the cup holder so it would do the reverb yeah thing. yeah and every morning I would drive over to the facility and I would listen to I knew you were trouble oh because that's gu- great the opening guitar riff yeah. and all that just kind of got me where I wanted to go and I it was that. such a jam and so that was that was definitely the one that catapulted it because then I like the joke me and Taylor are the same age like I was a 1989 Mm. baby and so I've always felt like we have lived these parallel (laughs) lives because when she moves to New York when 1989 comes out she's living in this wonderful New York experience I was living in a Holiday Inn Express in Staten Island playing minor (laughs) league football so basically the same Same life experience (laughs) totally just a couple of young kids moving to New York trying to make it happen but now from there on out then it became started to become and grow more and more and, and you got through you know reputation was certainly a different experience but then you get 1989 you get lover and all this stuff and so after that i was i was fully hooked and and then you know now we had nora and nathan do every single album which i think really got the hooks in even deeper because for me who had so much of a blind spot in you know taylor swift and speak now and some of the early albums to go back and get more of an adult education on what was going around on those things really helped further it to the point where now i'm in as deep as i've ever been
0: i really want to go back so i haven't listened to every single album um and i know i need to because i'm i know they do an amazing job because every time i've ever seen any sort of clip come from there i'm like oh this is the best i would love this and in fact i and people have heard this on on this podcast a couple times before but uh i was someone who in the middle of of the pandemic when we weren't allowed to go anywhere i was just taking artists and listening to every single album from the beginning to the end and when i did finally get to taylor swift it gave me such an un like a totally different appreciation for all of the music that she had made and just You know, the songwriter and and the way that you could be drawn into these stories, I think, is the coolest part, right, is that there's there's these fun ways that even in in stories that aren't necessarily made for any sort of specific audience, there's something that can link anyone to them. And it's it's just fun. Um, And so for me. Yeah, I mean, listening to to all those at the beginning. So I'm I'm born in '95. So for me, some of this is coming out a little bit earlier in my experience. But yep. with with red, like I remember that specifically being like, oh, okay, it's not just country music anymore. So I growing up in the area I grew up in, where everybody like pretended like they didn't like country music. I was finally like, all right, I can like Taylor Swift, and everybody's gonna like her too. It's the best. So yeah, the, the memories of of sitting around playing Madden video games with friends and uh, just listening to. Sp- speak now or fearless or whatever those albums were that's uh, an
1: ultimate guys being dudes moment oh right there. total Just guys fellas being dudes. sitting around playing video games chopping it up to some taylor swift
0: straight up said to text because i was prepping for this interview i was thinking about that moment and i sent a text to my buddy who we used to literally sit around and it would be like love story would be playing and we'd be drafting in the 40th round back drafting backup offensive linemen <laughs> like very seriously taking this seriously listening to taylor swift so i texted him we need to have one of those days sometime soon when when Midnight's comes out. Uh, Mike Golick Jr., thank you so much, man. You've, you've given me more of your time than I could have asked for. Um, next time, we'll dive into uh, any sort of Harry Styles, Don't Worry Darling, all of the stuff that's going on there, because that is Absolutely making me laugh every single day. I know you spoke about it on your podcast, so I'll just tease for everybody to go listen to it over there. Whatever Mike Golick's thoughts are, uh, you can get them over on Gojo, the podcast. Mike Golick Jr., any last uh, plugs or anything you want to direct people toward before you head out today?
1: uh no i appreciate you having me man you can check us out on the varsity app uh for learfield games on the weekend and uh certainly it's uh, you know we're on i think like over 120 stations nationwide plenty of good stuff there download the podcast download every single album with nora princiotti <laughs> and nathan hubbard and get caught up to speed so that I will when midnight comes <laughs> and october 21st hits you can be there with me at like one o'clock in the morning sitting here and trying to decode all of the hidden easter eggs inside the album
0: it's gonna be incredible i can't wait for it i'll be uh Bothering you about it, then, Mike Golick Jr. Thanks again for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up.
1: Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Tache, and a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or Toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.